Well, good morning. Welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm so glad that you decided to come because I'm excited for us to celebrate Palm Sunday together and to celebrate the Lord's table together, to do the act of remembrance. And today I want to walk the Via Crucis together, and specifically I want to dwell on a couple of moments that occurred in the final week of Jesus's life. The, the last week of Jesus's life is referred to as the Passion Week. Have you heard it called the Passion Week, or, or perhaps you've heard it called Holy Week? It is referred to the Passion Week or Holy Week, and it's named from the Greek verb to suffer, to suffer, to actually feel the suffering Savior. The word is, is translated pasco, and this week is set aside for us to do the practice of remembrance. To remember that Jesus, our Savior, lovingly suffered on our behalf so that we could be free. You see, all throughout the scriptures, there are multiple moments where God invites us to pause, to reflect, and to remember. To remember that he has moved and when we remember, we go back to what occurred in the past so that we can actually be transformed in the present. Now, I'm curious, how many of you have ever participated in a reenactment of something? Like you've gone to a reenactment of something. How many of you in the room? Yeah, there's a few of us. I'll never forget one spring break, my parents were really excited and they were like, guys, we have great plans for this spring break. We're going to take you to a reenactment of the Civil War. <laughs> and we were like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, because for kids, nothing says spring break like another educational experience, right? I, I took my kids out to dinner the other night. The, the first night that they got done with school, they're on spring break right now. We went out and we had burgers together. And I said, okay, guys, let's make a list of all the things you want to do this week while we're on spring break. Do you want to guess how many things on the list are educational? Zero. There is nothing on the list that is educational. When kids get out of school, they don't want to do anything that resembles school. But God bless my parents. They took us to this Civil War reenactment. And a reenactment, the, the reason that we have reenactments is that they're usually created to help us temporarily recall a moment that we didn't actually experience. The whole reenactment is there for us to, to have a temporary moment to recall an experience that we weren't alive for, that occurred in history. And so we can go back and we can have this temporary moment of trying to recall what it must have been like. Now, I'm curious, how many of you in the room would actually say that you think you have a pretty good memory? Like you remember things fairly well. Show of hands. Great. I am not one of you, okay? Because how many of you in the room would say you have what's called a random memory? 
You remember the most random of things. You don't know why you remember them, but they have been lodged in your mind. Like for me, one of my memories is the eighth grade talent show where I sang Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All in the single most amazing pink taffeta dress with a bow to the side and big puffy sleeves. Now friends, I remember that dress like yesterday, but if you asked me to do an algebra equation right now, couldn't do it. Why I remember the pink taffeta dress and I don't remember algebra, I have no idea. So I have what's called a random memory. How many of you would say you have a photographic memory? Like you see things and, and, and when you see them, they just stay in your memory. Well, when we travel back, when we travel back to a memory, what we're doing is actually not remembering. What we're doing is recalling. There's a big difference between recalling and remembering. Because when we recall, recalling is temporary. We have a temporary moment where we recall something that happened in the past. But when we participate in remembering, remembering has the power and the ability to transform us. Recalling is temporary, but remembering is transforming. And Jesus invites us to be people of remembrance. Jesus's invitation is for us to be people of remembrance, people that open ourselves up to the spirit of God that somehow weaves the past into our present so that we experience transformation. You see, what remembering does is remembering leads us towards the recalibration of our lives. It leads us towards the renewal of our lives. It leads us toward the reviving of our lives where the past and the present work together to transform us. It's, it's quite amazing, actually, how God wired our minds and created us to be able to do this practice of remembering. You think about it. How many of you have seen a rainbow in your lifetime? Probably most of us in this room. Well, when you see a rainbow, what's amazing about seeing a rainbow is that is a moment of spiritual remembering. You may not even realize that you're experiencing a spiritual remembrance when you see that rainbow. But the rainbow is in the sky because in history, in the past, when the earth was flooded and Noah had the ark and the animals came in two by two, how many of you were actually there? You walked into the ark two by two? Yeah, none of us. None of us remember the flood. But what's amazing is God invites us to be people of remembrance as we gaze at the rainbow. That's what it means to be people of remembrance, to take what occurred in the past and bring it here into the present so that we experience transformation. That's what remembering does, and it transforms us. And if you're anything like me, because I have a random memory, I need to practice the spiritual practice of remembering. It's essential to my transformation. It's essential to my growth. It's essential to me becoming more and more like Jesus to practice 
remembrance. We say all the time around here that Jesus is faithful and we're forgetful. That Jesus is always faithful and somehow we continue to be forgetful. We're forgetful people. We get going about our lives. We get wrapped up into our own drama. We experience our own loss or our own doubt or our own fear or pain. Or, or we just experience a day where we can't find a parking spot. And we're like, God, you have forgotten me. And I don't know what it is. I mean, I, every single week I, I sit here on this front row and I go all in with worship. I'm a double hand raiser. I mean, it's like I put my hands in the air like I don't care, right? And, and I go all in and I walk out of here on Sundays overwhelmed with the faithfulness of God. And lo and behold, I often go walking into Monday and I become overcome with my own forgetfulness. Anyone else here in this room? I mean, anyone in the last seven days had a moment where a circumstance entered into your life and you found yourself forgetting the faithfulness of God? I know I have. I know that that is something that regularly occurs for me. And my desire for us today, my desire for us is for us to be people that pause and people that choose to remember. So I want you to open up your Bibles. They're in the seat back in front of you. And we're going to turn to Mark 11. It's found on page 708, Mark 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four Gospels. Mark is the second Gospel. And we are going to look at what today is as we travel the Via Crucis. Today is remembered as Palm Sunday. And this is described as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And my hunch is, in your Bible, as the chapter begins, there's probably a heading, and it says something similar to this. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. And I want you to pay attention to how we are invited to remember this king says Mark 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Just say the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. So... They did exactly what they said. They went and they found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? Why are you untying this colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others actually spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed began shouting and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna 
in the highest heaven. So this is how Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He rides into Jerusalem unlike any other king. Can you imagine if a king came to visit Chicago? Can you imagine him riding down Michigan Avenue on the back of a donkey? This is how Jesus enters Jerusalem. There's no war horses. There's no trumpet blaring announcing his arrival. There's no show. There's no pomp and circumstance. There's no secret service lining the streets in a motorcade. But somehow the people know that they are still among a king. So they gather palm branches and they lay their cloaks down on the road as he comes in. But did you notice how Jesus enters? He enters on the back of a colt. He enters on the on the back of a donkey, which you gotta pause for a moment and remember how Jesus entered the earth, how he entered humanity. Do you remember his mother Mary, pregnant with the son of God in her belly, how she entered Bethlehem, riding on the back of a colt? So the same way Jesus enters into our story is the same way that he chooses to enter into his very last week. He enters as a humble king. He rides into Jerusalem, surrounded by people shouting Hosanna, cutting branches from the trees, spreading them in his path. But Jesus is completely concentrated on something else. He doesn't become overwhelmed with the crowd. He doesn't start waving and responding to all those that, you know, are pouring out their praise and their love. His heart and his mind is fixed on the agonizing journey that he knows is in front of him. The journey of betrayal and torture and crucifixion and ultimately his death. And there's this deep awareness of the unspeakable pain that is to be suffered in his passion week. And yet his passion is so loud and clear as he is riding on the back of that donkey because he causes us to remember this is no ordinary king. This is no ordinary king that is entering into Jerusalem. This is a king that chooses to serve. See, Jesus comes as a servant. That's what he invites us to remember about him, to remember that we have a king that ultimately is a servant. Martin Luther King Jr. said that life's most urgent question is what are you doing for others? The most urgent question that you can ask is what are you doing for others? And this is how Jesus lived and this is how Jesus died. His life and death answered this question. His life was never about himself. His life was this ongoing emptying of himself. He was not concerned with the filling up of his cup. He was concerned about the emptying 
of his cup. And this is what happens when we serve, we empty our cup, we participate in remembrance. And somehow, somehow in the process of emptying our lives for others, in the process of emptying our cup for others, we're the ones that are most served, aren't we? Those of you that practice service on a regular basis, you practice the remembrance of serving, don't you walk away more served than the ones that you just served? That's why I actually hope you don't just bring guests with you next weekend as we celebrate Easter. My hope and my prayer is that you have an opportunity to actually serve. It should roll up your sleeves to open the door for a guest, to hold somebody's baby, to, to take some trash out, to make sure that there's an extra roll of toilet paper in the bathroom. There are not magic elves that come around here and make sure all those things happen. Those things happen because people serve, because they participate in the act of remembering that we don't have a king that came in asking us to bow down. We have a king that came in that served. My hope and my prayer is that you get involved with service so that you can participate in remembrance. Because nothing shifts your life more than when you shift who you serve. And that's what happens when we serve. We remember our Savior that served. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I am a master at serving one person. Do you know who that person is? Me. I am very good at knowing what I need. And most of us are masters at serving ourselves and making sure our needs are met, making sure that we're taken care of. But when we shift the direction of who we serve, we begin to pay attention to people the way that Jesus pays attention to us. And we see this as Jesus enters Jerusalem. We see this as he walks the via crucis of the last week of his life. And he continues to draw our attention to the attention of others. Because just a few days later, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, what he does is he gathers a bunch of his closest friends up in an obscure upper room that nobody even knows about. And he gathers them there at a meal and they celebrate and they participate in the act of remembrance of the Passover meal. Another moment of remembrance of the faithfulness of God. And after they celebrate the Passover meal, this servant this Savior gets down on his hands and knees and washes his disciples' feet. This is who our king is. And then after he washes their feet, I want to read to you an account of what he does as they're gathered around this table. You don't need to turn there. This is found in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, Jesus breaks bread and he shares wine. And he says, won't you live a life of remembrance? Jesus took something so common, so necessary to everyday life. He takes bread and he takes wine. For some of us, that's very necessary to everyday life. And he takes the bread and he takes the wine as he's seated around a table with his closest friends. And the God that has been faithful in the past becomes ever present and faithful in the here and now. Because it's not just the communion table where we can remember. It's every meal at every table. You see, when we come to the table, most of us come to any table, any meal that we're about to have. You're going to have lunch later today. You're going to have brunch later today. You're going to have dinner later today. The reason you're going to have those meals is because you are going to grow hungry. And Jesus says, when you come to the meal... Your hunger, let that be the gift that leads you to remembrance. St. Augustine said that Christ is the bread awaiting our hunger. Christ is the bread awaiting our hunger. Jesus is looking and waiting and anticipating and knowing that you and I will grow hungry. And he longs for us to be people of remembrance. People that come to the communion table, not just to partake in some kind of ritual, but to come into union with Jesus. You think about the word communion. The word communion, communion invites us to come into union with Jesus. That's what we do at the communion table. It's not the kind of meal that you try and eat through a drive-through. It's not the kind of meal that you kind of just grab and eat on the go. It's not the kind of meal that's like a protein bar that you throw in your bag when you're having a little bit of hunger pains. The very remembrance of this meal is meant to restore, to recalibrate, to revive our lives, to be in flow with Jesus. Communion is not a quick fix meal. It's an invitation to come and to sit. And when we come and sit, we remember not just what the bread and the wine symbolize, Jesus' body and blood. We remember that it is our hunger that brings us to the table. Hunger is what keeps us coming back to the table. Because when we are hungry, we're in need, aren't we? And Jesus saw our deepest need. 
and said, I'm going to give my body and I'm going to give my blood. You see, when we're hungry, we're aware of our humanity. When we're hungry, we see our cracks and we see the places where we are dried up. We see the places where we have become spiritually malnourished. And as we come and sit, our Savior servant gives us a meal and says, won't you savor this by living a life of remembrance? See, Jesus doesn't want us to just be people that recall what he did. He doesn't want us to have temporary moments where we kind of recall and say, I'm so grateful, and then it's gone. He wants us to be people of remembrance. And you know, as I think about this next week, and as I think about us entering into the final Via Crucis, the Passion Week, the Holy Week. And as I was praying for you today and as I was praying for myself, my heart was stirred with concern. Because I wonder how many of us are truly living as remembrance people. People that linger at the table people that drink in the presence of Jesus, that savor every ounce of his company, people that stop and rest and slow down, people that actually feast on the faithfulness of God. You see, when we feast on the faithfulness of God, we don't leave the table forgetting the faithfulness of God. But so many of us, we haven't been feasting on his faithfulness. And I fear we have forgotten what it means to feast. We have become spiritual snackers instead of spiritual feasters. And we look for quick quotes and we look for quick verses that will just kind of tow us out of our spiritual ruts. And we rely on 140 character inspirations to just kind of inject us with some kind of positivity, possibility. I can do all things. And we pump ourselves up on podcasts and sermons and they're not bad. They are good. I hope you listen to Soul City's podcast. But friends, a podcast, listen to me. It cannot replace being with Jesus. It cannot replace being at the table with your Savior. And we numb ourselves on Facebook instead of turning our face to the one who always sees us and always receives us. We jump from book to book about God. And hear me, we sell tons of them out in the resource center. And yet this book has grown dusty and cold and the very words of God have not nourished our hearts. And friends, spiritual snacking leaves us spiritually lacking. That's what happens. When we become spiritual snackers, we become spiritual lackers. And yet there is a feast. There is a feast and we have been invited to be people that remember. Jesus says, come, remember me.
stay at my table. Bring your hunger to my table. And you know, we live in a world that prides itself on how quickly we can get things done. We live in a world that prides itself on how fast we can move through our to-do list, how efficient we can be. And Jesus is uninterested in your efficiency. He is uninterested in how quick you are. He is most interested in how long you will dwell with him at his table. And so we're going to come to the table in perhaps the most inefficient way today. Normally we pass communion down the rows and it's very efficient. Gets done very quickly. But I would rather us come to the table inefficient. I'd rather us be a bit uncomfortable as we stand in line. Because we have a savior that shed his blood and gave his life for yours and for mine. So I think we can handle a little inefficiency, don't you think? And the invitation is to come to the table today and to be reminded that Jesus presently, not just in the past, presently, in this now moment, holds the bread and says, I have broken my body for you. Jesus takes the cup and he says, I have poured out my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And I have given my life in exchange for yours. And so we're going to come to the table where mercy reigns, where grace never stops flowing, and where the love of Jesus invites us to remember. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to give you instructions as to how we're going to come to the table so that we can be people of remembrance today. Jesus, thank you. We can never thank you enough for the sacrifice of your love. So I pray that you would turn this room into a sacred space of remembering your sacrifice, of remembering your faithfulness. And God, I pray that we would be people that don't just spiritually snack on your sacrifice, but we feast in your presence. We pray this in the name of Jesus.